Salam alaikum. I just got a mic check, please. Somebody just tell me they can hear me okay, inshallah, and then we can start. We can start. Turn that off. Okay. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم مبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. So welcome to um, our eighth lesson of uh, QP3 Quranic Progression Year Three, and inshallah Taala today uh, we'll be concluding بإذن الله if we can uh, the tafsir of Surah Al-Bayna. But before we do that, uh, as we usually do, we've been doing for the last few lessons now. Let us begin with a recap and a brief summary of uh, what we discussed uh, last week of uh, verses number 4 and 5 of Surah Al-Bayna. And those were the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاةَ so if someone can give me a brief summary first of verse number four, please. وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ Wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yet those who were given the scripture became divided only after they were sent such clear evidence. So what did we say this was referring to and how does it differ from verse number one and the clear evidence that Allah azza wa jal mentions in verse number one. Allah speaks about bayyana in verse one. Now Allah azza wa jal is referring to bayyana in verse four. What is the difference between the two, first of all? What is the difference between verses 1 and 4? How has the uh, the address changed from verse 1 to 4? Remember we mentioned something last week. If we look at verse number 1, and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing and speaking to, and then verse number four, we see a marked difference. Yeah, so Samira, very good. So in verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies the people of the book, and some of the scholars that mention this, such as Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala, that verse number one, Allah azawajal says, لَمْ يَقُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ Allah speaks to the Ahlul Kitab, the people of the scripture, and the mushrikeen, the polytheists. But then in verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only speaks to the people of the scripture. And those who were given the scripture became divided. And the division, again, is being referred to as after they received the bayyina, the clear evidence. So what is the bayyina? What is the bayyina at the end of verse number four? What is the bayyina that is being referred to? What is the bayina, the clear evidence that is being referred to at the end of verse number four? What's going on today? It's a bit slow. Okay. So Salanj, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sumaira Muniz are very good. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is what is being referred to and Ibn Ashur Rahimullah Ta'ala as we mentioned in his tafsir said that the vast majority, if not, it seems like all of the scholars of tafsir agreed to the point here that the clear bayyina, the bayyina, the clear evidence that has been referred to at the end of verse number four is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So then the, they divided. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, uh, was sent, 
there was a division amongst them. They split amongst themselves. How did they split? What, what is the division that's being referred to? How did they split? So we know that Allah is now speaking specifically to the Jews and the Christians. We know that the clear evidence that caused a split was the coming of the Prophet wasallam. Question number three, what is the split? How did they split? What is being referred to as the division that was caused? Solangian ideological sects. Um, okay. Something maybe a bit uh, a bit broader though than that. Yeah, so Sumera, some accepted him and some rejected him. Some accepted him and some rejected him. That's the broad categories. So the split amongst the Jews themselves and the Christians themselves is a slightly separate issue that comes afterwards. As Shakila mentions, they didn't accept the Prophet ﷺ. So some of them believe, and we gave examples of Najashi, we gave examples of Abdullah ibn Salam, the famous companion, and others. They accepted the Prophet ﷺ, so they follow his message and they believe in him. And others disbelieve in him, and they reject him. And then we mentioned the stories of how some people knew about the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ, but yet they still didn't believe in him. And we gave the example of like those Jewish people who came, and they likened the Prophet ﷺ to Dawood or rather the, the fact that they couldn't leave the region of Dawood And we mentioned the story of Hiraqal, of Heraclius, the Byzantine Roman Emperor, who likewise didn't accept the Prophet ﷺ, despite knowing, as is very clearly mentioned in the narration in Sahih Bukhari, knowing the truthfulness that the Prophet ﷺ brought and came with, yet still because of his fear for his power and his kingdom and his throne, he didn't accept and submit to Islam. So that's verse number four. Then we move on to verse number five, and Allah Azza wa Jal says, "Wama umiru illa liyabudullaha mukhlisina lahuddin." And Allah Azza wa Jal says, "And they were not commanded to do anything. All they were ordered to do was to worship Allah Azza wa Jal alone, sincerely devoting their religion to Him as people of true faith, hunafa, when you salah and then to keep up the prayer, when you utus zakah, and to pay." the zakah, the prescribed alms, for that is the true religion. So the first point on this is, what did some of the scholars mention as a point of benefit from the opening uh, portion of this verse? They were only ordered to worship Allah alone, sincerely devoting their religion to Him. What did some of the scholars say that this is an evidence for one of the benefits that they derived from this portion of the verse. What did they say was the benefit of this? Samira, very good. The importance of ikhlas for acceptance of deeds. Right? This is mentioned by numerous scholars from amongst them we mentioned a famous scholar of tafsir from the Indian subcontinent. Who mentioned this? Can anyone remind me of his name? A famous scholar of tafsir from the Indian subcontinent. Yeah, Hasia, very good. Sincerity in the deen. What was the name of the scholar though? One of the scholars we mentioned, one of the scholars of tafsir. We said that he has a book in tafsir. Very good, Musarrat. Siddiq Hassan Khan. And for an extra bonus point, can anyone tell me the name of his tafsir? The name of his book of tafsir. The name of his book of tafsir. 
was the name of his book of tafsir. Fathul Bayan Amreen, very good, mashallah. Fathul Bayan, and for a double extra, double extra bonus point, which year did he die? Siddiq Hassan Khan, which year did he pass away, rahimahullah, in Hijri? I don't know exactly the uh, the Gregorian date, the Hijri date. I think we mentioned this last week. Very good, myself, mashallah. 1307 Hijri. I'm hoping that that's not all being read from, from notes, like from, from memory. Um, but anyway, um, yes, so Sadiq Hassan Khan has a famous book called Fathul Bayan in Tafsir. Uh, and, and, and that's something which is also like, you know, it's, it's a good point to remember that a lot of these scholars who, you know, their, their primary language is not Arabic. So, for example, if they're living in the subcontinent, they're probably speaking Urdu or they're speaking maybe Persian or depending on where they're from, they have their own dialects and their own languages. Yet still they, you know, because a part of seeking knowledge in Islam is, is, is learning Arabic and having a good command of the Arabic language. And these scholars who excelled in their various sciences and in the knowledge that, they, that Allah bestowed upon them were able to excel to such an extent that not only do they have extensive works in Persian, in Urdu, in, in their own languages, but they also have works that they, were, that they had in Arabic as well. Books that they wrote and authored in Arabic that are read by Arabs, right? The, the scholars of Arabia and the scholars, scholars of the Arab world benefit from them and refer to them. And one of those scholars that is often referred to, especially in his tafsir and even in his books of hadith, he was also a scholar of hadith, was Siddiq Hassan Khan, rahimahullahu ta'ala. Okay, so that's the first point. Muhlisin And then we mention Allah Azawajal says, Hunafa. Hunafa. Who can tell me what Hunafa is? So what does Hunafa refer to linguistically? first of all, and then what is being referred to here in this verse. So what is the linguistic meaning in the Arabic language of the word Hunafa? Hunafa, we said, was the plural of Hanif. Riaz, very good. Someone who deviates. Someone, I mean deviates, I don't know if that's the right word we want to use, but someone who turns away. Right, Al-Mail. Al-Mail is to turn away, to go to one side, because deviating sometimes gives the impression or gives the connotation of it being innovation or something which is which is which is frowned upon but this is something which is good right it's something which is praiseworthy in this context and that's why Ibrahim is referred to as being someone who is Hanif and Muslima because he turned away so what is the meaning from the Shari point of view then what is it that they're turning away from yes Shakira very good leaving shirk so they turn away from the path of shirk and they turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why? Because when these prophets come, especially Ibrahim and others, the majority of people are upon shirk. So they're leaving the path that is prevalent and they're going back to the path that is correct to the Sirat al Mustaqim, to the straight path that takes them back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did a number of the other scholars know? That, that's the general meaning. So the general meaning of Hanif is someone who leaves shirk and comes back to Tawheed. That's the general meaning. But what did some of the scholars of Tafsir say specifically concerning this verse that the word Hunafa refers to something uh, specific and there were like two or three different opinions or two or three different statements that they gave concerning that. And in essence, they are not different opinions, they are examples of how people leave off the practices of shirk and certain things and they come back to Tawheed. Right? So what did what were some of those examples that, someone, that some of those scholars gave? What were some of those examples that some of those scholars gave? The Hajj, Sumaira, very good. So not necessarily the, yeah, the Hajj, 
the pilgrimage because as we know the Hajj in the time of the pre-Arabs in the days of ignorance pre-Islam was full of shirk or it had many aspects of shirk many aspects that the Arabs had innovated into it and so that's one example that was given another example was the example of marriage of how certain Arab tribes or certain Arabs used to marry people who are not halal for them to marry they would marry their sisters they would marry their aunts they would marry their close family relatives that are mahram to them there are people that they should not be marrying and others gave the example of the khitan which is the circumcision and so those are all examples right those are all examples but generally speaking the word hanif as mentioned by a number of the scholars in its most generic meaning and sense is that it's referring to someone who turns away from the path of shirk and turns back to the path of or turns towards the path of tawheed Allah says and Allah mentions these two pillars of Islam and we mentioned that some of the scholars said that this is because of their importance that they are the most representative representative pillars of our religion and that is the salah and the zakah and we've already had a discussion as to the mention of zakah here in this verse and in this surah and how it kind of pertains to the whole discussion of whether this surah is a Makki or Madani surah so that's like our brief summary of what we did last week. Um, I don't remember if I asked anyone to research anything. So can someone tell me was there anything that anyone was asked to research or, or research question that I gave out? I don't remember giving one out, but just in case I missed something. Ah, okay. Yes. So please enlighten us. What was the question and, and, the, and what was the, the answer? By the way, I hope that um, inshallah people have started uh, linking up to the to the QP Telegram group. So if uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, then I think inshallah if Solange can put down the um, put up the link at some point as well. For those of you that haven't like linked up yet to the Telegram group, the QP one, I think that would be good. And I think it would also be nice if we can put these questions up at the end of every lesson. If someone, uh, you know, maybe Solange or, or Masarat or someone can take the responsibility of um, of, of just putting up the question at the end of the lesson on the telegram group for everyone's benefit and <laughs> including mine and then inshallah what we can do is the answers can, can come up as well and people can like just add their answers to that as well before we even discuss them in the class and that gives everyone to kind of a chance to kind of recap as well um, ah okay yes I remember now in this in verse number five why is there a difference in gender between the words deen and between the word qayyimah so deen is in the masculine form and in the feminine form qayyimah whoa okay it's gone too fast for me now okay so amreen um yeah so that's the question what is the answer let me see now Uh, Amreen, if you if you let me know if you post that please towards the end of the class and then we'll, we can mention that. But at the moment, let me just um, okay, let me just see what we have here. My understanding, based on the book of Tafsil fil Arab Ayat al-Tanzil, al-Qiyam is mudafi, playing the role of sifa, a possessor playing the role of describer. 
Deen al-Qayyim, Deen is mudaf al-Qayyim is mudawab. This is like a very linguistic and uh, very long one. Okay, so essentially um, the the reason the reason being, and as I think someone else has mentioned here, Masarat um, as well, is it refers to there being a word that is missing or there a word that is hidden. Right? And often you find this. Um, you find a word that is mahdhuf. Mahdhuf means that it has been hidden or that it has been uh, it's not necessarily mentioned, doesn't need to be mentioned, right? It doesn't need to be mentioned explicitly. And so this is an example of that. Um, yeah, I know, Solang, I know you mentioned it. Jazakallah khair. I just, uh, it was just very long to read. Uh, so, um, but anyone that wants to go through like the whole the whole uh, answer, I think Solange has given it in very, uh, very good detail. But just to summarize what she said, is that it's basically a word that was, would be inserted there. So the deen, and between the deen and the qiyyama is another word, and that is millah. Millah being another word for religion, uh, and that is a feminine word. And so the qiyyama is referring to that. But that has been removed because the deen, the word deen, gives the same meaning as the word millah. And so there's no requirement for it to be both. That is one uh, position um, that is that is famous amongst the scholars of, of uh, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Shaqeet and others. Uh, ibn Aqiyah and others mention this as being the reason behind it, and Allah Azza wa knows best. But the reason why I mentioned this necessarily wasn't necessary to go into this whole um, discussion of which word is missing and why is it missing and so on, is to point to an important point, and that is that the scholars of tafsir will often refer to this, especially in terms of Arabic grammar and the, and the Arab and so on. Why is something missing? Right? Why, why is it that Allah Azza wa refers to something in that way? Why, does, why is there a gender change in terms of word, wording from masculine to feminine or from plural to singular or vice versa and that is often something which they call mahdhuf. Mahdhuf means that it has been removed. Right? It doesn't need to be there because the meaning is still obvious behind it and the Arabs don't like to drone on. In Arabic, someone who is very wordy for no particular reason is it is something which is frowned upon and looked down upon in the Arabic language. So the Arabs like brevity, the Arabs like eloquence, the Arabs like to give a great deal of meaning in, 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 as, in as, as concise a way as possible. And that is why from the miracles that our Prophet ﷺ came with, as he mentioned in the hadith, I've been given comprehensive speech. And the meaning of comprehensive speech is few words that impart a great deal of meaning. And so that's something which the Arabs generally like. It's something which is beloved in the Arabic language. And so that is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in the Quran as well. And that was the, the general point that I wanted to highlight for people in, in, in regards to that question. So Jazakumullah khair for that. Uh, that was also very good. Um, so inshallah ta'ala we will continue now. Uh, before we do, let me just go back to Ambreen's. Um, while we're on questions, please may the transcribing team have permission to draw attention to a role requirement posted on the portal. Reference researcher. We have an urgent need for a researcher to join the QP transcription team. We require a very small time commitment. We need someone who can help us source how to find references. Details regarding the role description, how to apply, can be found on the portal notice board. So if there's someone who can fulfill that role, um, uh, I don't know what the hard to find references exactly are, um, but yeah, if there's something which someone can help with, especially if you're good at Arabic, you're good at searching online Arabic references and sources and so on, I think that's something which inshallah ta'ala is not only of benefit to, uh, to yourself, but of benefit to all of us more generally. So let us continue inshallah, we are now on verse number, verse number 6. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in verse number 6, Allah azza wa jal now will speak about the, uh, the consequence 
of what has preceded, the consequence of what has preceded in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, speaks about something which is which is uh, speaks about those who accepted the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam those who rejected him those who followed the clear evidence when he came to them and those who rejected that clear evidence when he came to them this dichotomy or this like type of 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 of, uh, of two extremes of people believing and disbelieving allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always in the quran when he mentions the believers and the disbelievers the people who followed and didn't follow the people who accepted and didn't accept the people who submitted as opposed to those who did not submit allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always then speak about the consequences the ramifications the results of such decisions and so one of the things that the quran is very clear about very very explicit and clear about is that our decisions are ours to make Allah doesn't force us to make a decision. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't force us to believe or to disbelieve. Allah clearly tells us what He wants from us, what is in our best interests, what we should be striving to do, but Allah doesn't force us to do it. But what Allah does make clear is that whatever choice you make, there will be results and consequences. So the concept that often, especially in the West that we have, of our actions are just our own, our deeds, my deeds are mine. doesn't matter if it affects someone else or doesn't affect someone else. As long as I'm not harming you or it doesn't hurt you or it doesn't bother you, why should you be concerned about me? That is not a concept that the Sharia accepts. But rather our concept in the Sharia is that we should care for one another and want good for one another and want to encourage one another. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by encouraging us also then tells us that there is very clearly a consequence to the decisions that we make. It's not just that I choose not to believe. I'm not harming anyone else. I'm not hurting anyone else. I don't pray. That doesn't bother anyone else. I'm not hurting anyone else. And therefore, nothing will happen. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yes, even though it may not necessarily harm or hurt anyone else, by disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there will be repercussions and consequences to that. And so Allah azza wa especially when it comes to the bigger issue of iman and kufr, of belief and disbelief. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran often does this. Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Kahf, in, in, in countless surahs in the Quran, when Allah speaks about the group of the believers and the group of the disbelievers, Allah Azza wa Jal will often mention reward and punishment as well. So that it's very clear in the minds of everyone that there will be an accounting, and that accounting is not just an arbitrary accounting, it's not just a, an exercise, it's not just a verbal uh, kind of process that people are going through or something which has no, no end, thamara, no great result at the end but rather it is something which is extremely serious, so serious that a person's salvation or damnation will depend upon that. So in verse number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أُولَئِكَ هُمْ شَرُّ الْبَرِيَّةِ Those who disbelieve amongst the people of the book, and the idolaters will have the fire of hell there to remain, therein to remain. They are the worst of creation. Notice how again now in verse number six, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers and returns back to addressing both groups of disbelievers, the Ahlul Kitab specifically, the people of the scripture, and the mushrikeen in general. And as we said before, the Ahlul Kitab also fit into the general, you know, like the general category of the disbelievers, but Allah Azza wa Jalla sometimes mentions them specifically because Allah wants to address certain things concerning them. So Allah Azza wa Jalla in Surah Bayyina begins by mentioning both groups. Then halfway through, Allah Azza wa Jalla speaks specifically to 
the people of the scripture because they should have been more willing and more able to accept the truth and the Prophet وسلم, when he came to them because they are people of scripture, because they are people who understand prophets and messengers and divinely revealed books from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and angels and paradise and hafa. These are concepts that are known and accepted by them as opposed to idol worshippers or sun worshippers or other people who don't necessarily accept those same concepts. So Allah addresses them specifically, but in terms of the end result for those people who rejected the clear evidence, the Prophet coming, the end result is one. The end result is the same. So now in verse 6, Allah merges them together again. And he says concerning them, They will be in the fire of hell and they will remain therein forever. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that indeed those who disbelieve in Allah and in the Prophet وسلم, and they reject his messengership from the Jews and from the Christians and from the disbelievers in general, all of them, will be in hellfire and they will remain therein forever. And the word Khalidin fiha, he says Khalidin means to remain somewhere. To remain somewhere and the word fiha, he says, to remain therein forever, meaning that they will never leave, nor will they ever die. They will never leave, nor will they ever die. One of the interesting discussions that you will find concerning verses similar to this, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they, are, they appear a number of times in the Quran, but Allah Azza wa says about the people of the fire that they will remain therein forever. خَالِدِينَ fiha Or خَالِدِينَ fiha abada They will remain therein, or they will remain therein forever. A discussion that is that is found amongst some of the scholars, and you find them find this discussion in some of the books of Tafsir as well, is the theological issue of whether the people of the fire will live for eternity or not, or whether the fire will remain for eternity. So, amongst the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah, they are in agreement that the people of Jannah, their life is eternal. That is a position of Ahlul Sunnah by by agreement, by consensus, by ijma. So the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah don't dispute that the people of Jannah will remain in Jannah for eternity, forever. There is no death for them, nor will they ever leave, nor is there any time when they just cease to exist, they just, they just vanish from existence. The people of Jannah will remain therein forever. And the only people who deny that Jannah is forever, that it will continue forever, are some of the other groups like the Mu'tazila and the Jahmi and others. They are the ones who disagreed with that concept. But the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah, by, by uh, consensus, by agreement, they all agreed upon that issue. Some of the difference, though, one of the differences of opinion that agreed amongst that occurred amongst some of the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah was regarding the fire of hell. Does the fire of hell and the people of the fire also remain therein forever? So we know, for example, that from the people of the fire are those people who are believers, they are Muslims, but because of their sins and because of the wrongs that they committed, Allah Azza wa may choose to place them in the fire to purify them for a determined time that Allah Azza wa decrees for them and then He will remove them once they have been purified and He forgives them and He will enter them into Jannah. But then the remaining people of the fire, who are the people of the fire, the people that Allah Azza wa is referring to in verse number 6, the Khalidina fiha, those who will remain therein or remain therein forever, what happens to them? Do they also have eternity? Do they continue and last forever? Or is there a point in time in which Allah Azza wa will just simply destroy them? They will no longer cease to exist and with them the fire of hell will no longer cease to exist because after a great deal of punishment has occurred to them, 
Allah just simply will for them not to exist. This is where there is some difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah. The vast majority of the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah, and some of the scholars even said it is the predominant position that you will find amongst the companions and amongst the Tabi'een, even though there are others who will mention narrations wherein it seems that some of the companions may have differed with this point. But anyway, the general overwhelming opinion of the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah throughout the generations and throughout time is that the people of the fire remain therein forever that the fire will continue and it will continue and remain for eternity and that people of the fire will remain therein for eternity. So there is no end point. And they have a number of evidences for this from the Quran and the Sunnah from the Quran are these verses that are very clear uh, concerning the, the fire remaining therein forever as well. And how therefore can you use the same verses that use the same wordings for the people of Jannah and affirm that but not for the people of the fire. And from the evidences that they have from the Sunnah is the hadith from amongst them is the hadith of the Prophet concerning how when the people of the fire enter the fire, the people of Jannah enter into Jannah, Allah will bring out death in the form and the shape of a ram. And Allah will say, will, will command that it be slaughtered. And then it will be said to the people of the fire, for you there is eternity and no death. And to the people of Jannah, for you there is eternity and no death. And that is an authentic hadith. And so that's an evidence as well. Uh, and also, likewise, from the you know the evidences that they use, the logical evidences that they use, is that if there was a point wherein the people of the fire thought to themselves that will be destroyed anyway, that in a sense is a way for them to get out and away from that punishment. And so, as the you know as Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions concerning the Jews, who said in the Quran, illa Yes, we will enter the fire, but it will only be for a limited number of days. And so that limited number of days then gives them that false sense of security. You know, it's like someone who commits a crime and says, okay, I'll go to jail, but it's only a couple of years and then I'll be out again. That type of thinking then sometimes allows a person or, or incentivizes or motivates certain types of people who think in that way to perhaps do certain actions of wrong. That I can withhold and withstand that punishment is only a few days or a few months or a few years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever it may be. And then after that, there's nothing. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those scholars will say, negates from them that possibility, even that thought, that that uh, possibility, that uh, that concept is removed from them by saying to them that there will be eternity and eternity will mean eternity. The reason why there is a difference of opinion is because there are certain verses of the Quran, for example, maybe you will come on to this in more detail, I didn't really want to speak about this, um, I want to speak about this today in, 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 in great detail, uh, but um, for example, the verse of the Quran in Surah An-Naba, inshallah, when we come to it, when Allah just speaks about the people of the fire, and He says they will remain therein for ages, right? For an age. Ahqab, or Hukub, is an age. Right? An age is a vast amount of time. And Ahqaba is the plural. Some of the scholars say that when Allah just says Ahqab, He says ages, but even an age has an end point. And even if there's a number of ages, that they will last for, there is an end point to that. And then obviously the other scholars have their responses to that, that inshallah when we come into Surah Naba, we can look at that verse more closely in terms of its tafsir. But one of the scholars who, who mentioned uh, and, 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 and dealt with the apparent conflict that seems to exist there, and he answered it in a very good way, is Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Ash-Shalqiti rahimahullah ta'ala in his famous work, Daf'u Iham al-Ittirab an Ayat al-Kitab. 
Um, but that's not something which I necessarily wanted to go to in great detail. Um, so I'm just saying we had a discussion about this in LP as well. It is a famous like theological issue that, that exists and uh, it is something which you will find mentioned in the um, in the books of, of Tafsir and so on as well. Um, Sumaira, what, what was the opinion of Ibn Abbas anhuma, on this? I don't know from the... Um, I don't know from the top of my head, but I think he is of the opinion that, it, that they will remain therein forever. From what I can remember from the top of my head, and Allah Azza wa knows best. But again, inshallah, when maybe when we come to uh, that verse in Surah Naba, when we come to it, inshallah ta'ala, we can have a slightly more detailed discussion. That is the verse that usually where this discussion takes place. But I wanted to mention it here because this is the first time in our tafsir as we are going through our surahs that this concept of the fire and eternity has been mentioned. Okay, so uh, so this was the statement of Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, that they will remain therein, they will never die, right? And this is why I'm saying that the vast majority of even the scholars of tafsir went towards that opinion, and that's why you will find it is the predominant position amongst the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah throughout the ages. Um, Allah Azza wa Jal then says, Ula'ikahum sharrul bariyya, these people, meaning these people who disbelieved, from the polytheists, from the idolaters, from the people of the scriptures, they are the worst of all creation. And the word bariya means creation, right? Some of the translations that we have in English, I think, for example, the translation of Mufti Taqi uh, says that they are the worst of all humans. But I think that that is not an accurate translation because I think the word bariya, and Allah Azza knows best, is more general than just humans. It is everything that Allah created. And so Allah Azza wa says that they are the worst of all creation. And that is a concept that we know also from the Qur'an that Allah Azza wa says about the disbelievers in whom illa kal an'am bal hum sabila they are like the cattle, nay, they are even more astray. So Allah Azza wa comparing and likening certain parts of the human uh, the human creation to other creations is something which is uh, which is known and, and which is found even within the book of, the book of Allah Azza wa in the Qur'an. Al-Imam Al-Tabari ibn Atiyah, a number of the scholars, they mention a, a linguistic point here concerning the word bariya and a, a point in qiraat as well. And that is that it is recited in two different ways. The most common recitation, which is a recitation of the majority of the Qur'a, is as we read it, bariya, sharrul bariya, khayrul bariya. But in the reading of Nafi', Al-Imam Nafi', he reads it with a hamza. He says, bariya. So he puts a hamza into it. And the reason why he does that is because he says that the, the original word that it comes from, the word bariya, is bara'a. Bara'a is something which spouts or something which, uh, you know, which comes up from the ground or something which, like a seed which germinates. Bara'a, it is something which, which comes about, something which has been created. He says the, the asl, the original word is bara'a, and it has a hamza in it. And so he reads it with the hamza, bari'a. Right, and then and he does this as Ibn mentions this he does this in a number of words in the Quran so for those of you that have listened for example to the recitation of Al-Imam Barsh Barsh being one of the students of Nafi' uh, if you listen to them for example in the word Nabi right, Prophet the word Nabi in the recitation of the majority is Nabi right, but in the recitation of of Al-Imam Warsh, it is with the Hamza at the end, Nabi, right, and he puts a mad on it. So for example, if it's the plural, he doesn't say Anbiya, but he says Anbiya, 
He doesn't say Nabiyin, but he says Nabiyin. Right? He puts a Hamza into those words. And that is from the beauty of the Qira'at. Like one of the beauty, the beautiful points of Qira'at is they look at the different types of uh, Arabic grammar and the different points of, of these origins, of, of the, the origin of these Arabic words. So this is the recitation of, of Nafi'. Right? Nafi' adds the Hamza because he says that it comes from the word Bara'a. Right, similar to the verse in the Quran when Allah says, Min qabli anna bara'aha. Min qabli anna bara'aha. Nabara'aha means bara'a. Right, the original verb is bara'a. And Imam al Tabir says, But the majority of the Quran who don't use the Hamza, they say because the Arabs don't like the Hamza in words because it makes it difficult to pronounce the bara'a. Right, if you have to say bari'a, it is harder than saying bari'a. Bari'a rolls off the tongue much easily much more easily. And he said, and he said, gives other examples of how in the Arabic language this is done. For example, the word Malik, which is king, comes from the root word Alaka or La'aka. But the Alaka, the A sound, the Arabs don't like the A, the a sound, right? If they can remove the A sound, they do so. And that's why, again, linking this back to the Qira'at, you will find that they have different ways of doing the Hamzas in the different Qira'at. One of them is to make this heel, and this heel is where you don't recite the A, with a very powerful ah sound, but you do ah, ah, which is like taking off the sharp edge of the alif, right? And you find like different examples of this within uh, within the Qira'at as well. So he says that the word Malik comes from the word alaka, but the alif is removed. Likewise, simply when we, uh, similarly when we say yara or nara, the actual word is ra'a with an alif, but then we remove the alif because it is hard to say the alif. So we don't say yara'a, nara'a, we say yara, nara. And this is similar to it, the word bari'ah is harder to recite, so the Arabs said bari'ah. Another um, opinion among some of the scholars of, of Arabic is that the actual root word is bara, not bara'ah, but bara. And bara means the dirt of the ground or the dust of the ground soil. And so when Allah says, sharrul bari'ah, the worst of everything that was created from soil. And maybe that is the position of some of the scholars, maybe Mufti Daqi when he says that the worst of humans, maybe that is the type of tafsir that they're taking from. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But the majority um, of the scholars of tafsir say that the origin of the word bariyah isn't dust or dirt or soil, but rather it is the meaning of creation. Everything that Allah Azza wa created from the root word bara'ah. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And Imam Az-Zajjaj, who is one of the famous scholars of Arabic language, and he has a, a tafsir which he, or a tafsir of, of words of the Arabic language, which he mentions this. He mentions something similar as well. He mentions something similar as well. Ibn Atiyah, Taala, mentions this point as well, also in his tafsir. In verse number seven, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then continues. So those are the worst of all people. Those people who rejected the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they disbelieved in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Allah Azza calls them the worst of creation. They are the worst of all people. And then Allah Azza wa now juxtaposes that with verse number 7. And that is for the believers. Those who believe and do good deeds are the best of creation. As for those who believe and they do righteous deeds, then they are the best of creation. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim which I wanted to mention, the hadith of Anas ibn Malik. عنه, the man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, he called him and he said, O best of creation, Ya Khairal Bariya, O best of creation, 
So the Prophet said to him, as for the best of creation, then that was Ibrahim right? And this is something which you find, it's an important thing to remember within the Sunnah. That the Prophet وسلم, as we know, is the best of the messengers and the Prophets of Allah But at the same time, the Prophet وسلم, would show humbleness and humility. And he didn't like people elevating or having this type of competition between Prophets and messengers of Allah without due cause. So to say that the Prophet is the best of Prophets and messengers and the best of creation, that has a purpose to it when we speak about it from a theological point of view. When we're speaking about it in terms of the stations that Allah will give people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, for example. Or to speak about how the Prophet was given certain virtues and miracles that weren't given to other Prophets. But just simply to play one Prophet off against another isn't something which which we do in our religion. And that's why it is something which is disliked and something which... Uh, can can diminish from the status of all of the prophets of Allah when it's done in that way. And so the Prophet ﷺ himself, as we know, would say concerning himself, uh, you know, that 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 if I was in the position of Yusuf ﷺ and I had to go through what he went through, I don't think that I could have shown the patience of Yusuf ﷺ. Right? And we have those hadith in the Sunnah as well, where the Prophet ﷺ is being hum- humble and and showing humility, even though the Prophet ﷺ is a greater prophet of Allah Azza wa Jal than the Prophet Yusuf So this is an example of that. But the reason why I mention it here because it's mentioned in the books of, of Tafsir because it speaks to this particular phrase of Khair al-Bariyah, the best of creation. Al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala in his Tafsir he said then in this verse Allah says that those who believe in Allah and in the Prophet and those who worship Allah making the religion purely and sincerely for him and there are people who are upright upon this away from shirk and they establish the prayer and they give the zakah and they obey Allah Azza wa Jal in terms of his commandments and his prohibitions then they are the best of all creation they are the best of all creation uh, Ibn Abi Hatim rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he mentions a narration of Abu Huraira radiallahu an which you may have come across before and that is that Abu Huraira, it is said, and I haven't had the chance to check the authenticity of this narration to Abu Huraira, radiallahu an. But in the narration, he says, are you amazed about the position of the angels in the sight of Allah, azzawajal, by the one in whose hand is my soul? Indeed, the position or the station of the believing, uh, the believing, uh, the be- the believing servant in the sight of Allah azzawajal, on the day of judgment will be greater than the station of the angel. And read, if you wish, this verse, which is verse number 7 of Surah Al-Bayyina, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ خَيْرُ الْبَرِيَّةِ Those who believe and do righteous deeds, they are the best of creation. That's something which you'll also, you may have come across before, that the best of believers have a position higher than the angels, and the worst of believers are worse, or sorry, the worst, the, those who believe, those who believe from Allah's creation are better and higher than the angels, and those who disbelieve, from Allah's career, uh, from 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 the humans and the jinn are worse than Allah's, uh, than the lowest of Allah's creation. Right? That's a statement that you find mentioned in certain books and so on as well. And this question of uh, whether it's possible to compare believers with angels, and how we be, how we do that, and therefore is someone who is a a a believer and someone who follows the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and someone who does all of their obligations and so on, can they reach a level where they're at on par with the angels, let alone with 
you know, the, 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 the leaders amongst them, such as, such as Jibreel and Mikail, or even be better than them. This is a discussion which you find somewhere in some places, and it is a discussion which is theoretic in nature, in the sense that it doesn't necessarily have any great benefit for us. You don't really get, you know, like, and, and some of the scholars dislike those types of discussions where they're very theoretical in nature. You don't actually take anything away from it. So whether you're better than the angel or not better than the angel in that sense, doesn't really make a difference to anything, doesn't really help you in anything. You still must do what you must do and stay away from what you must stay away from. Even if you have the, the station of being above the angel, then that's something which doesn't like really benefit you, especially in the dunya. That's why even the statement of Abu Hurairah speaks about it in terms of being Yomul Qiyamah, that the believer will find on Yomul Qiyamah that Allah Azza will honor them in ways greater and reward them in ways greater than the angels. And that is possible. Because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored our father Adam alayhi salam above the angels in the sense that he asked them or commanded them to prostrate before him and he taught him from the names Allah taught him all of the names and so Allah favored him in certain ways and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may favor the believers therefore also in certain ways on Yawm Al-Qiyamah but in terms of having that as a discussion in the here and now and benefiting from it as a discourse it's not really something which I think there is a great deal of benefit to be had from that but again it is something which you will find as i mentioned now in some of the books of tafsir especially with regards to this verse as being the statement of not only some of the companions such as abu huraira but it is something which you will find uh, even amongst others amongst others from amongst the scholars of tafsir and others who mentioned something similar to this as well allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last verse of surah al-bayyina verse number eight allah azza wa jalla says جَزَاؤُهُمْ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ جَنَّاتُ عَدْنٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ مَرَضُوعًا ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ خَشِيَ رَبَّهُ Their reward with their Lord is everlasting gardens, graced with flowing streams, where they will stay forever. Allah is well pleased with them and they with him. All this is for those who stand in awe of their Lord. So this verse, which is the conclusion of, of, of this surah, Surah Al-Bayyina, Allah Azza wa then speaks about the reward of those people who are khayrul bariya. So Allah Azza wa when He speaks about the people of the fire, He mentions their punishment and their being the worst of creation in a single verse. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ كِتَابِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ شَرُّ الْبَرِيَّةِ but in terms of the believers, Allah Azza wa Jal splits it into two. The first thing is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala establishes their station, and then Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about their reward. So for the people of the fire, Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about their position, their their punishment first, and then their station because of it, right? And so because of their punishment in the fire, they have become from the lowest of people. Whereas for the believers, once they attain that station which is the station of the best of creation by doing, by having Iman and by doing righteous deeds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, once He establishes that, then speaks about their reward. And that reward is that they will have gardens. جَنَّاتُ adnin, تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says, Allah Azza wa then mentions the reward of those people who believe and do righteous deeds, the reward that they will have with their Lord on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that is that they will have Jannatu Adn. And those are gardens in which they will remain forever. And they will have 
under under beneath them rivers which flow rivers which flow they will remain therein forever they will not be caused they will not be removed from it nor will they die within it radiyallahu anhum allah azza wa is pleased with them because of their actions in the dunya because of their obedience to him and because of the sincerity of their deeds that they performed and they are happy with Allah because of the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show to them and give to them on that day due to their obedience of him and the reward that they will find and the honor that Allah will afford to them Allah says that this good, this reward is for those people that Allah has described and those people that Allah has promised them that they will receive this due to their iman and their righteous deeds on Yawm Al-Qiyamah those are the people that Allah describes as having feared the standing before their Lord or in awe of their Lord. They fear Allah Azza wa Jal therefore in this world by in open and in secret because they know that by fearing Allah Azza wa Jal in this Lord they will perform and fulfill his obligations, stay away from his prohibitions and because of that fear in this Lord Allah Azza wa Jal will honor them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he says Allah Azza wa Jal then speaks about the reward of those people and he says Radiyallahu anhum an. That is for them in this dunya that they were pleased with Allah Azza wa Jal because they saw meaning the pleasure that Allah that they will have the, the, their pleasure with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is twofold in this life and in the next the the pleasure of Allah with Allah Azza wa Jal in this life is shown through um, through their patience when it comes to what Allah decreed for them, what Allah Azza provided for them. They were always people who were happy, who were contented, people who were always pleased with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to them. And so Allah Azza showed them his happiness with them by showing him his signs of mercy and of forgiveness and of honor and of generosity and kindness. And then Allah Azza will obviously give them a greater reward in Yomul, on, on the day of judgment on Yomul Qiyamah. I have uh, two questions for you here with regards to this verse before we conclude two research questions the first of them is regarding this word Adin Jannatu Adin Jannatu Adin and I want you to research the meaning of the word Adin for me so the position that Imam Al-Qurtubi Ta'ala mentioned and the one that's mentioned here as well in, I think even in the translations Imam Al-Tabri refers to as well that Adin means a place of everlasting abode Right, a place that is everlasting abode. But what you will find actually in the works of tafsir is that there are a number of different tafsir or a number of different statements that have been mentioned with regards to the meaning of the word Adin. Right? And often in English it's referred to, sometimes it's translated as the gardens of, of Aden or Eden or something like that. So that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm uh, interested in. What is amongst the scholars of tafsir as far back as you can go, the different opinions or the different statements that you will find concerning the meaning of the word Adin in this word Jannatu Adin. The second question that I have for you relates to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal Radiyallahu Anhum Maradu'an. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala mentions to us now and He's speaking primarily about those people who believe in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and believe in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they establish the prayer and they give zakah and they do everything that they have been commanded to do and even when they sin and they make mistakes they turn to Allah in tawbah, asking forgiveness from Allah Azza wa Jal, making istighfar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very beautifully encapsulates for, for us what is their like ethos, if you like. And that is that Allah Azza wa Jal is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. So the believer is pleased with Allah in every circumstance and in every way. 
they're pleased with Allah in times of, in times of ease and in times of hardship, times of happiness and times of sadness, when things seem to be going well and when things don't seem to be going well. In every situation, despite illness, despite poverty, despite difficulty, despite death, despite illness, despite everything, or if things are going well and things are happy and, and Allah has given them his many, many blessings that he has bestowed upon them, they are constantly and always pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they know that what Allah has decreed for them is always best. And so they are pleased with that decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then for in return, Allah is pleased with them because of their iman, because of their righteous deeds. And Allah ibn Atiyah said his mercy, his, his pleasure is shown and is seen through his mercy and through his forgiveness and through his, his honor and kindness and through his many blessings subhanahu wa ta'ala, let alone the greatest of or the greatest signs of that, that pleasure that will be seen on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And that is why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment will say to the believers that they will have a greater reward than the reward that they will already have in Jannah, they will say, Oh Allah, what more can you give to us? Was it not enough that our Lord is pleased with us? That's one of the things that they will mention as being from the rewards of Allah and the greatest reward that they will then receive obviously is to be able to see the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah grant us that ni'mah. But the question that I have for you, uh, and this isn't the research question, but the, the, the question before that is, who is this primarily referring to? This statement, radiyallahu anhum wa radu anhu. Who are, who are, or which group of people are the greatest example of this? Of this, of those people who fulfilled iman and righteous deeds, people who had ikhlas in their, in their worship, who established the prayer and gave zakah, who are hunafa in their religion. Who are the people that are the greatest? Example of this. Yeah, Muhammad, very good. It is the companions, radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. And therefore, one of the benefits that we take from this verse is that when we come to the when we come to the state to mentioning the names, this is where we take the statement that we say after mentioning one of the companions, radiyallahu an. May Allah be pleased with them. So this is what it comes from. So it actually has a basis in the Quran. So the statement, you know, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, Umar radiallahu an, or whichever companion, and then we say radiallahu an, and we ask Allah to be pleased with them. Its basis in the Quran is from this verse. So the question that I have for you, therefore, is, and this was that wasn't the research question. The research question wasn't uh, who is it referring to. It's the companions. The question that I have for you that because it has a basis in the Quran. Likewise, when we mention the so the the three things that I want you to research, one I've given to you is when we mention the companions, we say radiyallahu an. What is the basis of this for this in the Quran? And that is the last verse of Surah Bayyina. When we say concerning the Prophet, and we mention his name, and we say sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where is the what is the basis of this from the Quran? And when we say uh, when we mention the name of any other Prophet, and we say alayhi salam. What is the basis of that in the Quran? And why is it that when it comes to, for example, any other Prophet, we only say alayhi salam before our Prophet, we say sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we say salat and salam, whereas every other Prophet is just salam. So if you know the answer to that question already, that's okay, but leave with that for next week. So the two questions today are number one, concerning the meaning of the word adn, and number two, therefore, these uh, three statements that we often mention after the names of certain individuals, where do they come from? Right? Where, what is the basis of that in the Quran as well? And you will find a basis for each one of them in the Quran. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finishes and completes and concludes this surah by saying, This is for those people who fear the standing of their Lord, meaning that even now in the dunya they're conscious of the fact that they're going to be standing in front of Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is what Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala mentions in his tafsir. He says that this is the reward for those people who fear Allah and they fear him as he deserves to be feared and they worship him as if they see him, even though they know that even though they cannot see him, he can see them. And so therefore this is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to remember. The people who attain the greatest of reward are only those people who are conscious of this, someone who is negligent of this, someone who is who is not mindful of the fact that they will stand before Allah, that there will be an accounting, that they will be asked about their deeds and their actions and their words and their sayings and everything that happened in the dunya. Those people who are heedless of that are very unlikely to be those people who then put in that time and effort of doing good deeds and of attaining as much good as they can do. But those people who are mindful, who are constantly fearful of that day and of that standing and of that accounting, they are the people who are spurred on to do more good and to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with even greater um, you know in an even greater way and manner. And with that we come to the conclusion of Suratul Bayyana and all praises due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah ta'ala therefore next week we begin with the tafsir of Suratul Qadr. So if there's any questions um, that you have, I don't know if there were any questions here, but if there are any questions, then I can take a few of them. Okay, so Sumaira is asking, aside of aside from when it's mentioned in Surah Naba, were there any discussions against amongst the Mufassirin about the absence of the word Abada, specifically verses six, seven, eight? So for the for the people of Jannah, it's mentioned. So it's, but it's just mentioned in the next verse. So Allah Azza just says Khalidina fiha in verse seven, but for them, He then says Abada in verse number eight. Um, in 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 terms of the disbelievers, though, it's not always mentioned in the Quran. So even for the the, the the disbelievers, it's not always mentioned that they will remain therein forever. Right? It's mentioned sometimes, it's not mentioned sometimes, and that is also one of the reasons why some of those scholars who said that the fire will not be eternal, that's also something which they mentioned because they use that to say that Allah Azza wa Jalla therefore clearly distinguishes between those people. But what is said in response to that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know, there will be believers who will enter into the fire. So those believers will come out, so they will remain therein, but they will not remain therein forever. As for the disbelievers, they will remain therein forever. Anyway, that's a long, very long discussion. So, um, but anyway, that's that's uh, that's something for you and Allah Azza wa knows best. Now that we have come to the end of the surah, Salanj asks if there is some insight as to the connection between the end of this surah and the start of the next. It would be very interesting to know. So, in terms of, um, so if you even go back, like for example, to Surah Alaq, Surah Alaq speaks about knowledge, right, and the and, and the revelation, knowledge in particular because that is how the surah begins with the command to read and to seek knowledge. The best of the knowledge then is found from that which was revealed in Laylatul Qadr. So the best of knowledge is that which Allah revealed in Laylatul Qadr. What did Allah reveal in Laylatul Qadr? The bayyina. The bayyina being the, the ayat of the Quran, what the Prophet brought in terms of, of that. And that is, that, that, that is what then we will be held to account for on Yawm Al-Qiyamah Ida Zulzilat Al-Ardu Zilzalah when we will see even the smallest atom of good or of evil. And that seems to be the connection that, that anyway that I have come across and Allah Azza wa Jal 
knows best. But as we know, even this science of connecting between surahs and so on isn't a, an exact science, but rather it is something which is ijtihad, and therefore you will find different differing opinions concerning this as well, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, yeah, so yeah, like Muhammad mentions, and Imam Suyuti, and he's not the only one, but Imam Suyuti, rahmatullah ta'ala, has his uh, Asrar Tartib, Surah Al-Quran, and there are many others before him as well that wrote on this field and in this field. And again, all of that is is ijtihad. None of it is is uh, something which is which is firmly mentioned in the Quran or the Sunnah, uh, but rather it is something which the scholars have ijtihad over. Right? And that comes to you know the issue also that we discussed before, and that is whether the 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 tartib, the order of the surahs of the Quran, are from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or whether it was ijtihad from the companions. Because if it's from the ijtihad of the companions, then there is obviously no secret behind it. It's not revelation. It's just something which the companions themselves made each the hand of. But obviously, if you follow the opinion that it's from the Prophet ﷺ, which seems to be more apparent to Allah knows best, then there is a possibility, therefore, that there are connections between these surahs and Allah knows best. Okay, so Jazakumullah Khair, I think we'll end there for today's lesson. So inshallah ta'ala, I will see you all next week. Please uh, join on to the Telegram group if you haven't already. I hope if Solange can just... Uh, post that link for us quickly again and um, for those of you that have inshallah ta'ala I think it'll be good if we can start some discussions I think if we can post up these questions on that group and then everyone can feedback on there that would be good as well and I will inshallah ta'ala attempt to check in as well uh, as often as I can and uh, and I think then someone asked concerning the research team if there's someone who can help with reference researching then that would be something which will also be good so Jazakumullah Khair for attending and inshallah ta'ala I will hope hopefully see you all next week. Yeah, so we can discuss some of this stuff there. We will discuss it here anyway at the beginning of the next lesson as we usually do. But in the meantime, because the week is a long time, people can post stuff on there and, and they can mention stuff that they can benefit from. Okay. Jazakumullah Khairan wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wan an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.